Tim Joyce. It's Wednesday hey, hey, again. Hey. I, Where do we find you? Barcelona? Bar Barcelona? Yeah, yeah. The Bar Barcelona. Um, and then I'm off, I think, in two weeks to U.S. And then, you know, March, yep. Maureen and I, I think, spending most of the month in U.S. Let's see. I don't know. Um, okay. Just a bit crazy. But um, and the kitties, the kitties are all at school. Yeah, we're, you know, we're. We're empty nesters. <laughs> just, uh, now it's just awesome. a dog. And we have like an awesome uh, service that we found here in Barcelona. And uh, it's like uh, kind of like oh, matching really? families that don't have dogs but want a dog watch, right? Um, try. And it's like for oh, a really? short period of time. Not try. They just enjoy dogs, but they don't want the hassle of owning one, I guess, or whatever. But um, no, it's been great. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. So we're, you know, we're kind of... Awesome. Uh, where we can be anywhere, anytime, um, and choosing. United I gotta find States. that service. Yeah, and if <laughs> not, ahead, start start one. You know, business number two. No. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's all I need. <laughs> um, what is I, I? I was gonna. And where are you? You're uh, you're back to Dublin. We're in well, Dublin. Or? Yeah. Okay. Yep. We're in Dublin. Yeah, I'm, I'm back to the states next week too. So I'll be I'll be back and forth. Um, getting the Aer Lingus miles going, you know? So how do you feel like what's, <laughs> what's the, uh, what's the vibe right now? So you're in the thick of things, the we digital are. health we're, we're, scene uh, is I see the DTX. I saw your, your um, summary from the DTX podcast with Chandana. Uh, that was good. Yeah. I was just listening to it this morning. Good. I haven't you know, even posted yet. I think it was released. So today it's going to compete between the DTX podcast and the shot because we're kind of releasing sort of both today, right. which, you know, probably wasn't <laughs> wise because, you know, the shot is going to take all the listeners. Um, but uh, yeah, so in the midst <laughs> of that, in the midst of, uh, you know, fundraising, in the midst of client onboarding, in the midst of, you know, I mean, you you know, you know the yeah. deal. So yeah. I got it. Anywho, anywho, cool. um, we actually have a great guest who I personally have not met. So I think this is going to be maybe not the first, uh, but, you know, in, in single digits um, right. for sure. I don't know right. if you've met her, but I'm going to let Naomi in. Um, awesome. And Naomi and I kind of were stalking each other on social media. And since I, you know, I wear the, <laughs> the X Pharma and Naomi runs a pharma accelerator, I thought it was very appropriate to take me back in time, kind of zoom back three and a half, four years ago. And Naomi, good to meet you. Uh, I was just telling Jim before we let you in that I, you're, uh, I think maybe the second, maybe third person on this podcast that I've never met in life. Um, but I don't know if the two of you have met or not. Well, we, you were in the health beacon offices ages ago. I'm pretty sure of it in Boston. With That's health uh, entirely possible. Yes. It was a whole <laughs> like lifetime before COVID happened. And then we all became little squares and, uh, <laughs> I'm sure Eugene, we've probably been at the same conferences, maybe pre-COVID. I don't know, but uh, I certainly know your name and and you too, Jim. So uh, it's a, it's to be here. Thank you for having me. Yep, no, welcome to the shot. Pleasure, pleasure. And this is you know uh, this was designed as an intervention for Jim and I when COVID hit, um, <laughs> and and we both needed a stage. So welcome to this the shot stage. And for our millions of listeners and and viewers, tell us. Take, take us through your life journey, whichever way you want, Naomi. Tell us everything about you. Um, How'd you get here? 
Yeah. <laughs> Great. Uh, I love telling that story because there's lots of twists and turns. So first of all, I would just want to say thanks again to both of you for, for having me. It's a real pleasure and an honor. So I'll start my journey with college. I studied chemistry. I went to graduate school. I got a PhD in material science engineering from MIT. I don't do that anymore. But when I graduated, I um, was working for a small startup. Actually, I was employee number four in Square back before it looked the way it looks now. Um, and I was doing, you know, um, technical research, but I was very intrigued by the conversation that our little startup, which was in the portable linear accelerator technology uh, field, was having with Boston Scientific. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. You know, there's like some business, you know, to this research and science world also. Um, I then uh, moved out to California for my husband's job, and I had the chance to get involved with uh, a startup being spun at Stanford School of Medicine. And it was a startup in the, you know, what we would call today the digital health space. It was a tool to help doctors answer questions they had at the course of treating patients. And I thought, now this is really cool, you know, using technology to help patients and doctors. And I, I really, I think I found my calling at that point. Um, I went on to work with a series of early stage startups in Silicon Valley, did some advising, uh, work with venture capitalists, and then was actually hired to into Kaiser Permanente, uh, mm. where I became their first vice president of innovation and advanced technology. And um, the, the mission of our team was really to identify emerging technology outside of Kaiser and to bring it in. And I worked with doctors, nurses, technologists. Um, I actually helped um, launch Kaiser's telehealth strategy. This was a long time ago, but something I'm proud to have had a hand in. So we'll I was just, we'll just say it was pre-COVID, right? No, we'll just say it was pre-COVID. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this was this was the 1990s. Okay, this was you know, uh, you know, no early two early 2000s. But who, yeah, it was very pre-COVID. Who do you think you like if you if you were to put yourself? Who are you more em empathetic to? The Kaiser people trying to find the innovation, or the innovator trying to get into Kaiser? Oh, it's nearly impossible to get into Kaiser. So we were helping to open a portal there. Um, okay. And, you know, I, the doctors and nurses, they were super excited with the technology they were bringing. Um, we had, you know, internal champions. So it, it was a very uh, successful program. And, and uh, yeah, I was very happy to be part of getting that off the ground. Um, so then I relocated again for my husband's job, um, this time back to the East Coast. And then I had the honor and privilege of being hired as the first chief innovation officer at Boston Children's Hospital. And there, our remit was very, very different. It was about um, really enhancing the innovation culture and helping doctors and nurses um, test and develop the ideas that they had. So we had a, a, a digital innovation laboratory, we had a fund, and we're working at, again, sort of the enterprise level with things like telehealth and mm -hmm. also at the grassroots uh, level. And really uh, wonderful to build a program and to help build tools for doctors and patients. I was actually recruited from um, Boston Children's Hospital by Biogen. They wanted somebody to come over and help with their innovation beyond the molecule strategy. And I thought this sounded fun. I'd been in healthcare already for, I don't know, 12, 15 years, and I didn't have to relocate for this job. So easy peasy, right? Well, I showed up at Biogen and I was in for quite uh, a rude surprise. I could not understand what was going on in that organization. It wasn't because Biogen was so disorganized. It's because I'd never been in pharma before and I didn't understand the language. I didn't understand how the company was organized. There was clinical this and medical that, and they meant completely different things. Whereas in the hospital, they meant the same thing. It's, it's the acronym um, game, so was, right? The acronym game. Oh my gosh. Yep. Yes. The, yep. Yes. 
Uh, so I think it, it literally took me six months to be, begin to feel comfortable there and understand what was going on. Um, I did really come to uh, appreciate, though, the potential for digital health to transform pharma, um, to bring new value to patients that are on therapy, but also to help with the drug discovery, drug development, the commercialization process, the, the whole piece. So um when I left uh, Biogen, I actually set up my own consulting firm, and uh, my goal was to help big pharma, you know, embrace digital health. So I was working with big pharma and their digital health strategies, and um, you know, I was working with and sitting in meetings where startups were coming to pitch uh, pharma, and I, I noticed another uh, phenomenon. I would see a startup with a, a great solution uh, that would solve a problem that pharma had get them in the same room and think, okay, great, this is going to be a match made in heaven. And somehow these two uh, groups would fail to connect. They would just sort of talk past each other and <laughs> nothing for the most part would happen. And that's where I came to uh, appreciate what I now call the pharma startup gap, which is a fundamentally different way of doing business that digital health startups and big pharma have. And it has to do with very much the language and all those acronyms but also very different cultures, different appetites for risk, different orientation toward uh, regulation, very different speeds and timings, resources. I mean, the list is long, but these are basically groups that operate in very different universes. And it was sort of the recognition that there's a pharma startup gap that needs to be closed, which was the motivation for launching FarmStars. We are the only digital health uh, accelerator for uh, startups that want to focus on pharma that is attempting to bridge that pharma startup gap. So that's how I wow. got from there to here. <laughs> wow, wow. And how many startups are you, are you bringing startups in or how many are you working with? So, so the way the program works is we bring 10 startups in at a time uh, into a cohort around a theme. Um, we're on to our fourth theme now. Um, and uh, we work with each uh, cohort of startups, those 10 startups, uh, for 10 weeks. We put them through a program that we call PharmaU, which is short for Pharma University. And uh, we basically teach them all the things that I wish I had known uh, when I was starting uh, at Biogen. So we teach them sort of... Pharma 101, everything they need to know about like um, uh, pharma versus biotech and a small molecule versus biologics. But we get into a full um, pro uh, uh, discussion of how drugs are developed. We then teach them how the pharmaceutical companies are organized. What are all the jobs that get done? What are all the different uh, responsibilities and roles that people have? What's medical affairs, which is really important mm -hmm. for a lot of digital health companies. Many people don't know about that group. What's market access? And we just, we take them through the whole organization of uh, the company. We then have a module on um, the business of pharma. So how does pharma make money? What are the business models? What's the importance of reputation in the pharma industry? We then have a module on pharma as a regulated industry. So we talk about the FDA, we talk about the EMA. We also talk about the regulations that are very important to pharma around data security and privacy. Um, yeah. We also talk about anti-kickback laws and sunshine laws. I won't tell you we teach them everything there is in the law. Our goal is really to help them understand what the guardrails are and mm. how the um, the ecosystem works and what are the concerns that pharma has. And then the last piece of pharma university, um, or of the curriculum anyway, is what we call art of the deal. And that's where we teach them a lot of practical tips about negotiating with pharma, about due diligence, um, what to expect, and then how to be good partners once they do get, get those deals. 
Yeah. And then the other part of PharmaU besides the comprehensive curriculum is um, the mentoring that we do. And we work with each of our startups very uh, closely over the full 10 week period. We're mentoring them almost every week. Uh, and our goal is to help them develop a really strong pharma value proposition to help them articulate what they're doing in terms of what pharma needs and with pharma language. And then at the end of um, the 10 week uh, acceleration program, we have a showcase event. And that's where uh, the startups get to pitch in front of uh, our pharma members on day one and day two and three, they sit down to one-on-one -on -one meetings that have been prearranged with our pharma members so they can start basically having those serious conversations mm. that they all want to have. Wow. And where have you Naomi... been our whole life? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I think I've been to, all I've been doing is what you talked about. For, I, don't, I don't think I was as organized as you described it. <laughs> and, and, and it keeps going, right, Jim? Like it just, I mean, there's, there's, there's new acronyms yes. coming up all the time. You oh, know, right. ML, M, MLR is just one of them, right? Um, you, yeah, Eugene, but... you'll, you'll like this. We actually played bingo. We give out the acronym um, list. Oh like, I think we've got 80 or 90. And then we right. tell them while we're teaching you, you know, keep track of what you're hearing and we give them bingo cards and they play bingo. And it's another way to sort of reinforce that link. We have a lot of fun in class. I mean, it's, it's run like I, a university I class. And think, there's work I and homework. And I, I think, Naomi, you can put this up on like Amazon.com and it'll be a hot seller. Like the, you know, <laughs> farmer, far, far you know, acronyms game, like an Uno or yeah. whatever. I, right. I, you know, right. I think there's a market for it. But anyway, um, how do you guys, I'm actually curious, how do you define the themes, right? Because you actually mentioned that you have kind of pharma, uh, I don't know, sponsors, however you, clients, I don't know how you call, uh, members, call yeah. Them, mem members, yeah. Um, members, but the, yeah. But the theme so, definition. Um, right. So the themes basically are what are of interest to our members and they help us shape and choose the themes for each cohort. Uh, we're on our fourth cohort now. Our first one was innovations in clinical trials. Our second was innovations in neurological disease. The one in the fall of 2022, our third one was innovation in real world evidence. And now we're doing innovations in women's health or health equity. And so these are topics that our, our members care a lot about. They are very interested in working with digital health startups in these areas. And so, um, you know, yeah. we want to bring them startups that they want to engage with. Yep. And do you take an equity stake, like a kind of Y Combinator style? We don't. Okay. Um, we just uh, charge a nominal tuition. Um, um, the value that the startups get is way in excess of what they pay uh, in tuition. We think though they have to have some skin in the game so nobody comes to the program for free because that doesn't motivate yeah. them properly. But our model today is really based on um, our pharma membership. Um, our pharma members have priority access to our startups. Um, we also do some work with them to close the pharma startup gap and what we call executive ed, where we help them understand startups a little better. Um, and um, they also work um, collaboratively peer-to-peer -peer, uh, across the member organizations to talk about what works and what doesn't in terms of motivating and moving a big organization uh, forward and getting them to engage in around digital health innovation. And what's the secret? <laughs> uh, what is the secret? I don't know that there's a then you, secret. I, I then you won't need the 10-week program, Jim. Come on. Right. <laughs> Everyone right. still needs a 10-week program. You know, no, what I, I say is we're focused on you know, education, understanding, you know, the partners and communication and relationship buildings. I mean, I, mean, I think these are things that you would want in any relationship um, sure. that's going to be successful, but we, we really tailor it to what pharma needs to know about startups and what startups need to know about pharma. And then we continue to sort of play matchmaker and try to try to bring them together.
Um, so, so what do you think? Like when I talked to, sorry, Eugene, I was getting excited. No, 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 go ahead. Here, go ahead. I, I the, know, uh, same. The uh, people talk a lot about, so like, I, like, you know, like both of everyone on the call here, I started, you know, I was a long time pharmaceutical executive before I went and did the startup thing. Um, there's this, there's this concept of like, you can kind of, you can almost like smell or it's like ephemeral. Like you can, you can sense a pharmaceutical person in the room. <laughs> you know, there's this feeling, right? Like, that, or that's the folklore. That's the folklore. You can kind of see him and there's kind of a, you know, there's a little bit of, you know, swagger or confidence in, you know, their position that they have, or, you know, there's a level of technical knowledge. You you have a great uh, kind of scientific background. There might be that, or just exposure to talk about that. There's a, there's a language of that. Would you, would you, do you believe that? And, you know, and how do you, how do you help the company? Do you, do you think the companies need to get beyond that? So, so I think that, that big pharma has a very different culture than uh, digital health startups. Um, I think that they're often more careful and more conservative and maybe less risk um, tolerant uh, than a startup that is going to move quickly and break things, build a product you know, very quickly and continue to iterate. Think about pharmaceutical companies. Their goal is to get a single drug, a particular molecule approved and out to market. So they're not tinkering with things after you know six months or a year or after it's in the hands of patients. It is what it is, and they want to just, you know, monetize it. So I think they have a very different sort of. Um, they, they come from a, a different place. Um, one of the things that we do, though, is um, we have um, champions from each of our pharmaceutical companies, and they work very closely with us. And they actually come to PharmaU, and we do a fireside chat. I talk with them, and it gives them a chance to start to talk about that culture and how they think about innovation. And they're very honest about the challenges that they face and why, you know, there's often resistance to new things, uh, you know, that are digital anyway within uh, pharma companies. I mean, pharma companies are very innovative on the therapeutic side. I mean, that is their yep. business. Innovation on the technical and digital side is not their business. And though I think it's transformative and will accelerate them and only pharma companies that embrace digital health, I think are going to be around in the future. It's still not uh, something that they are totally comfortable with. So, you know, our champions share, you know, where they're coming from and what they're working on, but they're very motivated and excited to bring these startups in and to, and to help their companies innovate. Naomi, uh, how do you, uh, I mean, most of the pharma companies have some kind of floating, fleeing, reorganized innovation groups, right? It's always kind of distribute, <laughs> centralize, centralize, <laughs> distribute, move, whatever, right? But there's always something there, right? Um, and, you know, I, again, I'm going to, I'm going to put my old hat on, like when I would talk to the startups, uh, you know, I always kind of said that my challenge was never, or our challenge as a team was never really finding startups, right? Like it was actually the inside and that soft landing into the organization and across yeah. the whole value chain of a very complex organizations, really, right? Like country, global, yeah. you know, PL, budgets, you know. No, yeah, yeah. And and now you as Farmstars as an external partner, right? You really need to have those, you know, really, really, really strong champions that takes time to build also. And those champions yeah. have to go inside. So you know where I'm going with this. Like, I'm curious how you guys are solving yeah. this with, with right. the, your members, right? Right. So from an educational perspective, you know, we teach the startups 
about all the different ways farmers organize all these different roles. And so for them, it's very much opening their eyes and setting expectations. You know, if they thought they were going to get a deal in a month and have it signed in two, <laughs> probably not. Um, so that, that's one piece. But then, um, you know, our, our champions um, know exactly what you're talking about. They know their organizations very, very well. They are tasked with, you know, um, bringing in digital innovation. They're passionate about it. And whether they're in an innovation group or in a business development group or in a commercial commercialization group, they, they, they understand um, what the challenges are. And so they do a lot of the heavy lifting. They basically line up the business partners internally. They find the clinical subject matter experts. They are usually in close connection with the, um, the folks in procurement. They have business development people they work with. They often have you know, legal advisors that are more adept at working with startups. So they, they live in the pharma startup gap, we like to say. And so they know how hard it is to bridge it. And they are, they take full responsibility for doing what they can um, to move their organization forward. Now, again, they're, they tend not to be the final decision makers in terms of whether to do a deal or not, but they are great facilitators and they are great connectors. And I will say another piece of the organizational, um, program that we offer to our members is actually workshops for those other stakeholders that um, are engaged in uh, digital health deals. So the folks from legal, from regulatory, finance, IT, you know, they'll be brought into a deal and they'll often be in a position to stop a deal or to slow it down or to ask so many questions that, you know, sort of just, you know, dies under the weight of, of the legal paperwork or, 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 you know, the IT due diligence. So we have a program to educate them also on what it means to be a startup and why they're in such a hurry and why getting this deal done is it's not often about getting the revenues, but it's getting the mark validation that they're then going to take to their investors in order to get them you know, to the next round. So there's a lot of um, educational opportunity, and we provide that also uh, to our members uh, at companies. And we're always looking for new members. Um, I did want to give a plug out, to uh, shout out to the um, you know, the companies that have, I think, had the foresight to recognize um, Pharma Startup Gap and want to still, uh, you know, try to close it and work with digital health startups. So we uh, are supported by Alexion, AstraZeneca, uh, Beringer Ingelheim, Eli Lilly, Novo Nordisk, um, Samita Vant, and Takeda. And uh, we've really had, uh, you know, great, wow. uh, a, a lot of wonderful experiences working with them. Well yeah. Done. Well done. So, yeah. Um, Thought away. Jim, I, I don't know if you wanted, I, I wanted to, because I think, you know, you, you, you mentioned something earlier, which I fully agree. I mean, pharma companies are great in innovating and in therapeutics, you know, small, large molecules, right? And the whole digital is kind of, you know, still, I would argue, you know, it should be there. The decision-making process should be there already, but it's still, it's still not. And so when it comes to kind of the value chain, so think about, you know, developing uh, molecules quicker, faster, real world evidence, right? Gathering the data to, you know, differentiate them, uh, themselves. That to me is a very sort of clear case, even though, you know, it still might have non-champions, let's put it politely. <laughs> um, on the other extreme are, you know, things like, you know, standalone digital therapeutics, other revenue streams, right? Like, what are you seeing from pharma? Because, you know, I'm a very strong opinion that, you know, if you're making X billion um, in molecules, uh, there's not a digital health company that's probably making more than, you know, 100 million today. And those are more direct to consumer anyway. 
what are you hearing, seeing on the non-existing value chain molecular development side of things? Yeah, so I definitely agree with you that the things that pharma can um, take action with most quickly is anything that will help them with their clinical trials. If you can save them time, if you can save them money, if you can help diversify um, you know, the, the participants in clinical trials, they're very interested in that. So that's great for all of those uh, yep. you know, tools and all of those solutions. I think there's a pretty good appetite also for uh, solutions that bring value to patients, um, whether they are um, patient engagement platforms or um, diagnostics that can help patients you know, understand their disease more quickly, get on therapy, obviously medication adherence, everyone in compliance, everyone loves those. Mm-hmm. those are, I don't think we've quite solved that problem yet. I think that um, digital therapeutics to me are the most transformative type of uh, digital health solution out there now. Um, And so I think they are, you know, they're really exciting. I think they are the most complex, to your point, Eugene, from a business model perspective for pharma. Um, So I think there's a lot of opportunity for digital therapeutics as um, adjuncts or um, to help with side effects or, you know, particularly pain management, stress. Um, There's a lot of potential there. And I think that um, the pharmaceutical companies that recognize the potential of digital therapeutics and start to use them and offer them to their patients will, again, differentiate themselves. And I think they can really uh, strengthen uh, their brand. Um, I think in very few cases are the digital therapeutics directly competitive with where you would use a digital therapeutic alone or instead of um, a biological uh, compound. So I think to me, there's a lot of opportunity for partnership and combination. Um, And again, remember one of the things that pharmaceutical companies bring to the table in conversations with digital health startups is tremendous understanding of the patient, um, of the distribution channel. Um, They have tremendous connections with doctors. So they can be phenomenal partners to a digital health startup. Uh, You know, building those things from scratch is is a really heavy lift. Um, So I'm very... Um, positive about all the potential for partnerships between digital health startups of all types and pharma mm. companies. And if, if you were talking to, if say Eugene or I were a fortune, whatever, not fortune 500, that's not the word, a top five pharmaceutical yeah. company right now, we're the CEOs, you know, we were joint CEOs of one of the big pharma companies. How would you advise us to organize to best address bringing digital tools in? Wait. It's a great question. Naomi, I'm so sorry. Just I want to interject yeah. one quick thing. Are we co-CEOs of the same company, Jim, or different companies, just like CEOs? I'm going to let you guys work I'm that not, out. I'm, okay. not, I'm not agreeing to the first one, all right? Wait, wait. Wait, 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 wait. I thought we were co-CEOs. <laughs> all right, fine, fine. We're, we're, we're already out. throwing the... <laughs> okay, so we're co-CEOs. Yep. How would you advise us to bring? And you guys already get it. I think that's the good news. And I think a lot of the, um, you know, CEOs of pharma companies are getting it or have got it already that digital is is transformative. I think that there's a need to recognize that there's many opportunities with digital and not to sort of conflate them, but to give each of them the resources and and, um, the time and the staffing that they need. So obviously there's a whole digitization opportunity to just move forward and, you know, use less paper. I think there's a whole, um, you know, sort of 
digital media and digital marketing opportunity, and that needs to be supported, you know, in the commercialization group. But then I think there's also a need for digital tools to um, help them accomplish their um, sort of, I'll call everyday activities. So as we were talking about the development of drugs, the discovery and development of drugs, how do we do that better? How do we do that faster? I'd love to see, you know, some um, uh, uh, focus on that and some people empowered specifically to find partnerships and bring those innovations in. I think one of the biggest mistakes that um, pharma CEOs can do is to say, let's build some digital solutions ourselves, because that's not a core expertise of pharma. There's a lot of things they do really well, usually not building new uh, technologies. Um, so I would say empower people internally. And then I would also say you need a group that really focuses on how digital um, solutions can bring value to our patients. You know, pharma is very interested in their patient experience, but we need people that specifically look at and work on the patient experience and the digital supports that they need. And, and we see groups like this, you know, among yeah. our members and some, some of the other pharma companies. And do you see those groups like kind of, it sounds like those groups would might sit inside those units separately versus this idea of a chief digital officer or something, or is that just strokes for folks? I think everyone has to figure out what organizational structure works best for them. I think at the end of the day, it's about empowering people. It's about removing, um, you know, barriers and providing resources. I think what the CEO, you guys as CEO have to do is make sure to let everyone in the organization know that digital is a priority and saying, no, we want to keep doing it the old fashioned way isn't an option. And I think that's one of the most important roles that CEOs can, one of the most important stances they can take to catalyze their um, company and get them moving uh, in the digital revolution. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna resurrect something that I wrote about. I called it kind of the uh, and Oreo cookie effect, right? To your point, I don't think there's a CEO <laughs> of pharma out there that says we wanna just build everything inside. There's just, I, I don't believe even one CEO says that. The challenge is, and this is where the Oreo cookie came in and how I described it, there's that hard top layer that says, yes, go digital, go. There's the digital native slash digital savvy slash understanding. And those are the, you know, two outside. Those are the cookies. Know, <laughs> those are the thin parts of the cookie. And that gooey, mushy stuff in the middle is that middle management slash, you know, people just, you know, maybe don't have the right incentives, et cetera. When you do try to squeeze that all together and push it from both sides, that's when the gooey, mushy, great tasting stuff happens, right? But it's just it's change <laughs> management, right? It's change yeah. management. I, I, so. That's exactly right. It's change management, and it has a lot to do with um, the acceptance or the creation of a culture around innovation. This goes back to you know my experience at Boston Children's and Kaiser, where you know we want to introduce innovative technologies but it's not enough to just focus on the technologies alone. You need to actually make sure that you have a culture and that you have people that actually want to embrace uh, innovation. And then the question becomes, well, what, you know, why might people not want to embrace uh, innovation? Well, you know, there's fear, there's lack of motivation, you know, they're, they're not incentivized, but I think that there's a lot you can do, you know, with leadership to, to address those issues, but there's also things that you can do culturally to, get people excited around educating them, exposing them to what innovation can do for them. There's a lot you can do around providing resources so that people that do want to innovate can run fast and then they can bring the rest of their colleagues along. 
And there's also a lot you can do uh, around sort of celebrating your successes and making it comfortable to fail because that's a big part of innovation. So I think, you know, there's um, there's opportunities to continue to enhance the culture um, within that mushy middle um, to make them more comfortable um, with this new type of innovation. Because we are talking about change management, uh, moving the folks from just, you know, um, uh, therapeutics to digital or digital and um digital and drugs together. So I, th I think, you know, it is an organizational challenge, but um, I think there's a lot of uh, pharma company that are on the right track. Excellent. Yeah. Um, before we get to Jim's kind of famous last question of, of every episode, um, I'd love to, because I think it's interesting, right? Because a lot of the stuff that you described that where, to your point, pharma is focusing because we haven't solved anything from optimizing clinical trials to, you know, the, the good old medication adherence, at the end of the day, it's around, you know, behavior change and no tool or box mm -hmm. will ultimately do it. You need support around it, health coaching. Um, <laughs> maybe there's one that I know that might do it. But um, <laughs> anyway, um, the um, I, I guess where I'm curious how you see your relationship with the members as they evolve, uh, as pharma evolves, and what do you see the quote unquote future pharma, right? I mean, I know we're beyond the the prediction time frame. That's usually end of the year. We're in the beginning, but what are you what are you seeing? What are your thoughts on the future of pharma? So long term I'm very optimistic. I think pharma's going to get it. I don't I don't want them going away. We all need their drugs. So uh, <laughs> you know it's an industry that's here to stay. Um I do think that there's a potential for some shakeouts. I think there will be stronger pharma and weaker pharma. And I do think that digital um, is something that will help differentiate um, pharma. And I think one of the exciting things is just patients really appreciate digital solutions that bring more value to them. And I think that that's a great way to build loyalty and to keep patients on therapy and keep patients connected to particular manufacturers or you know drug developers. So. I think that we're going to see pharma that are strong um, in digital get stronger and capture more market share. Um, so I'm, I'm very optimistic about that. I think um, to your what you alluded to before, Eugene, there's still a lot of um, uncertainty about how to organize internally around this coming, uh, yeah. you know, revolution. So. You know, we, we see this in our members, we see this in our non-members, there's a lot of reorgs going on, people are still trying to figure out where does digital fit, you know, maybe it's just part of the IT department, and I would argue, no, it's not just part of the IT department, you know, if I had to put digital in only one place, I would put it in medical affairs, because they are the interfaces with patients and clinicians, but I think digital is so much bigger, because you have the whole uh, piece around clinical trial optimization, um, so um, I'm very optimistic about the future uh, for pharma, but I think that the fastest way for uh, to get to the future is through partnerships with startups. And, you know, as they say, the future is here. It's unevenly distributed. We see partnerships happening um, and those those companies are going to move quickly. And the ones that haven't gotten the memo yet, well, I, I hope they get it soon. <laughs> well, Excellent. listen, I'm sure we can be uh, diving for hours into this topic, especially with Jim and I, you know, still having some tie marks in the back and whatever else, right? But um, um, I could also talk about this for hours. Yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. Exa exactly. So we'll, we'll, we'll do that at, you know, one of the next conferences or something over dinner drinks. But uh, let's go to Jim's uh, last question. Okay, so Naomi, picture yourself 
walking through Kendall Square on a snowy day. You're having memories of the time that you're that you moved to California and you're wishing it was a little sunnier than it was at the moment. And coming walking out of uh, you know, one of these kind of startup ecosystem incubators that must exist all over the place is this dynamic, dynamic woman who walks up to you and says, Is Naomi, you're you're like I've following your career, I've been watching everything you've done. And I, I just I had graduated from MIT and I'd worked in Boston Children's and I had you know been involved in big health systems. And I've come up with the most brilliant idea of, you know, efficiently introducing kind of equitable digital health engagement solutions into, you know, but I need pharma companies to back me in doing it. And you looked at the kind of younger version or, you know, of yourself and you say, what's the one piece of advice you would give her? Um, be, be patient. <laughs> Working with pharma takes time. Um, you know, I would, I guess the other piece that I think she already knows this is take risks. I mean, I'm a big risk taker. I have my whole career. Every physician practice I've had has been a new position that's been undefined. So I, I, that's a piece of advice that I give to everyone because I think without risk, there's no reward. Um, and, you know, related to that as an in a, someone who works in innovation, you can't be afraid of failure. It has to just be a learning uh, opportunity. So, um, you know, the, the patience is something that everyone needs, but I think um, if you're going to innovate, then you need to take risks and um, don't worry about falling down. Just get up and keep going and figure you're smarter for having learned something uh, through the process. Amazing. Awesome. Um, I, I know we usually end here, but I just realized I had one other question. Are you actually done with this cohort uh, and applications? Have you selected or you're in the midst of it? What's the what's the plug yeah, here? Great question. Any? Yeah, so sorry. We've, we've closed. Uh, we were no longer receiving applications. We had okay. a great response. Uh, from 14 countries around the world because we are a wow. virtual accelerator. Um, so we are ha we are now reading through them. There are some amazing uh, startups. It's going to be hard to just select 10. Um, but we're going, the um, cohort will launch in March. And we'll have our showcase event in May. And then by June, we'll be calling for applications again for our fall uh, cohort because we do run two cohorts uh, a year. So stay tuned. Join our mailing awesome. list, uh, farmstars.com. Um, you know, we are uh, very excited about transforming um, the industry and closing the pharma startup gap. Fantastic. Awesome. Thank you so much, Naomi, for making the time. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk soon. Over and out. Oh, it's a pleasure talking with both of you. Thank you so much for having me.